0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to VillageChurchBaltimore.com. Let me read from Matthew chapter 5, and you should see up here on the screen, and this was the teaching of Jesus, where he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And and he's talking about the purpose of his people, those who would follow him. And when we see the reference Jesus makes the salt here, most of us, because we live in 2018 in America, we're thinking of like a flavoring agent. Like we're thinking of something that makes your food taste better. But that's probably not what Jesus meant when he's giving this call for the church and who we are supposed to be in the world. Um, Some scholars, they believe Jesus was talking about like uh, salt as a preservative. So, yeah, it's not about flavoring, but it's about keeping things preserved. Um, back in that day, you know, you can't go to the Costco or Sam's Club and buy, like, a, a month's worth of Hot Pockets and, you know, expect to get— you know, there's no refrigeration. So you got to find a way to keep your food fresh, preserved. And it was through salt. And I think we can validly think of Jesus' words in that way when he's talking about salt, that amongst this larger culture, we are called to be— um, this salt, to keep things from getting rotten, that in a world that's often marked by a shallowness of faith, how can we be the people of God sprinkled among that and bring life? And I think that could work, and I think that's valid, and I think I've actually even taught on on that before. But as I did a little bit more study here, some really fascinating things I was able to pick out, Um, I think that Jesus could also be talking about more than just a preservative agent when he's talking about salt. That when we read the Bible, and this is just kind of a mini side note, um, you, can, you can take this to heart. When we read the Bible, I, I always want you to come to a place of practical application. Like, one of my little frustrations is sometimes when I see different circles, that treats the Bible primarily as a, like a textbook. And, I mean, and if you think, like, information, there's tremendous information in here. I'm not denying that there's stuff to learn but we always have to take the heart that god has given us the bible as his word of revelation to lead us to transformation to point us to jesus and there's always got to be some kind of application in our lives whether now and and as we move forward but here's the thing i'm a big fan i just want to say i'm a big fan of application practical but sometimes i think the other side of the issue is we skip right to the application like, what we do is we open up the Bible, and we're like, God, what are you trying to tell me? And we'll read something. And it like, it's like, God's trying to tell me this, and we skip right to the application. Um, and, and God is trying to speak to you, but what I would suggest is it, it's helpful, and, and it's really important to begin by understanding the context in which that those words were originally written and who those words were written to. And then, because if we understand that, we can get a better understanding then of how then do we apply that into our lives as modern hearers of that word. So having said that, when we think about the context here in this Matthew 5 passage, when we think about Jesus' original audience here in Palestine, there, there's a good chance when they heard him talk about salt, they weren't thinking about their lamb chops. Um, they were thinking probably as an agricultural people. As an agricultural people, they were probably not thinking of salt for their household use, but rather for them, they thought of salt, some of them possibly, as fertilizer. Like salt was a fertilizing agent. And so when they would have heard Jesus talking about salt, they would say, hear him saying, you are salt for the soil. You are to be like rich fertilizer for this soil. And, and you, your goal then is to make things grow. What does fertilizer do? It's put there to make things grow better. So when he's talking about losing your saltiness, then maybe he meant be that tougher kind of salt because there's all different kinds of salt, some more rocky, some more tougher. Be that tougher kind of salt that doesn't disintegrate it easily and lose its gypsum, which makes it less effective as a fertilizing agent. Be the kind of salt that keeps the soil what it's supposed to be. And and when you think about this agricultural reference, it actually makes even more sense when you look at some of the parallel versions because different authors speak about the same kind of story. And in the book of Luke, written by Luke, um, there's another version of this. And there's an interesting part that we don't find in the passage we have for us today that says salt that loses its saltiness isn't fit for the soil. And check this part out. It says, and isn't fit for the manure pile. Isn't fit for the manure pile. And I'm just crass because that's some of my background. So when I used to read that, I was thinking, yo, your salt ain't worth blame. That's how I, that's how I always read it. Um, and as God is redeeming me slowly and slowly, I, I think that's not what he was saying here. But it's this confusing passage. It makes more sense when we recognize the salt. And it's a special kind of salt, but it was used to preserve the fertilizer, the manure. It was used to actually help the manure to be all that it's meant to be. And that the purpose of salt, then, again, is to bring life to dead, hard-to-grow kind of places. In conjunction with the manure, the dung. How can we help things to grow better? One scholar, uh, thinking about this passage, paraphrases it this way. I I love this. He He wrote, You are like the salt for the soil, a stimulant for growth. If you become like the savorless salt, no longer good for anything How will the gospel of the kingdom be preached throughout the whole world? He was saying, your saltiness, it has an effect in the word of God, effectively getting into dark, messy, dark, hard places that things don't grow. That's where you're supposed to be, to help growth. So so I think this is important for us to kind of try to get down here because I I think in many ways, it really boils down to the purpose of the church. And I'm not just saying our church, but like the larger church. Why do we exist? Um, So again, I've taught on it, so I still believe it's true. But here's the thing. If we think of salt as like the preserving agent, and that's like the primary thing, and then we read this passage that way, the philosophy then is we are meant to look at this world that's godless, and it might be, but it didn't used to be, so how can we fight? How can we preserve what's good and let it not get rotten? And we are the people of God that are meant to kind of get into those places so that it will stay as it's meant to be. That's what salt does. And I actually think there's some validity there. I I think there's a point there. But I think if we're not careful, if we think of salt predominantly as a preserving agent, and then the church is the expression of that. What happens is the church starts to get involved in things like culture wars, starts to get involved in things that say our main goal as a church is to keep the way of life that we know, because we used to be a Christian nation. We used to be a God-fearing nation. We had prayer in our schools. We had people who went to church. We didn't have all these heathens running the media and running Hollywood and running the government. We need to preserve our way of life. And again, I want to say, I think there's some validity there. I I think there's some validity there. But I think if we're not careful, if that's the primary role of the church, we get into this defensive posture. We get into a fighting posture. We see those who disagree with us and disagree with maybe our way of life, and they become the enemy. Rather than people, perhaps God is saying, no, these are actually the people you're supposed to love. I'm showing you who you're supposed to show kindness and mercy and undeserved grace towards. Maybe that's a view of salt as fertilizer. Because if we grasp that Jesus is calling his followers to be fertilizer, that is a radically different call that he's given us. It's not just trying to keep the world from further decay. Again, nothing wrong with that. But it's even more radical than that. It's the call that you have when you follow this Christ who's pretty radical in himself. It's this call to go into the broken places. It's the call. Don't just try to find churches that are all glitzy and everyone's got what they're... And it's like a Christian social club. But rather, the call is go into those cracks where there's messiness and there's brokenness and there's hurt and pain. Because that's why you've been given my spirit to bring life to dead places. Because that's what fertilizer does in working with soil and helping it to become nutritious so that things can grow. So we're called to be salt, called to be fertilizer, manure, help bring life and growth. And then we see in verse 14 the expression of this call. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, guys, it's critical for us to know our purpose. Um, if you want to know little pet peeves I have, I don't know if I should share these, but I will because we're all about goes right? One of my pet peeves is in the church, and I'm not even saying our church. I think I like our church. There's a reason I've been here as long as that. I really like our church. But one of the things that drives me crazy is when people saying, I just wish the church were deeper. And I want to preface, I'm a fan of deep church. I'm not a fan of shallow church. I don't like superficial kind of play around. And like, I'm not saying that. But usually what people say when they say, I wish things were a little deeper is, man, I wish I could get like seminary level stuff during the sermons and Bible study, even though I don't want to pay for seminary. I want want someone else to go there and learn that stuff so they can transfer it to me. And I want to really learn deep stuff. And again, nothing wrong with that. I would highly encourage it. But the problem I see is sometimes the deep kind of call, it's for the sake of just learning more. It's for the sake of wanting to know more. It's for the sake of putting our nose in a a book and being so happy if we never get out of that book. But that we get all this tremendous information and we know how to argue with people on Twitter because we just know so much about everything. But we have to be people who want deep study. We want deep engagement with books, especially the Bible. We want deep prayer. We want deep engagement with the Spirit. But guys, the reason we're called to grow deep in our faith is so that we can best live out the design that we are as, the, as we are to, uh, to be the people who are on the message of Jesus to the world. That's why we're supposed to be deep, so we can best be the message of God to the world that God is the light of the world in Christ. And as we're transformed, as we follow him, our lives, they, they shine. And they're saying, hey, hey, you want to see why I'm different? You, want, you see there's a change in my life? I'm not talking the way I used to. I view my money. I view sex. I view relationships. I view my time. There's something different about me. You, you have to know it, it's because of this Jesus. It's because of him. And we just point to him. And we're, if you think about it, when we're talking about light, it's like we're a flashlight in a dark room and all the power's gone out. You can't see a thing and your kids are crying because it's suddenly dark. And you get that flashlight, you turn it on and you point and you're able to finally see what you're supposed to see. We are like that as we point to the greater light, Jesus. So we got salt and we, we got light. So when we think of our purpose, what then are some of these signs To help us to know if we're growing in these ways how can you and I how can we know if we're growing more to be salt and light more is this fertilizer more is this light first sign a first question you can ask yourself am I engaged where I am am I engaged where I am and we're kind of just following along some of our values in the church And, and the value this is coming out from is this idea of humble presence that this is an important value for us here at the church to be humbly present but maybe the question you can ask myself is am I engaged where I am And at the village, we affirm very heartily and very often that we're relationally designed people. Relationships are important. And growth and change happens through the presence of other people. And we just celebrated our anniversary. We heard story after story of how God has used other people, their presence in our life. It's true for you, and it's true for me too. And at the base level of our souls, if we follow Jesus, this happened in us and through us because of Jesus. Jesus chose to be with us. He gave us his presence. He didn't, from afar, send us like a theology book and say, hey, here's the how-to, here's the DIY, here's the, um, the Christian guide for dummies. You just follow it and you're going to go on the right path. He actually came into earth, chose to be with us, walked amongst us, talked amongst us, ate amongst us, cried amongst us. He made his presence on this earth. He showed us how transformation happens. it's not from giving nice platitudes from afar, it's from getting into people's lives. Um, and if I would probably guess for a lot of you, even though solid theology has hopefully played a part in your transformation, if you've experienced that, um, probably you didn't experience like life transformative kind of things through a class that you took on doctrine. Maybe some of you did. like some of you are wired that way. Um, And I'm not bashing orthodox belief. We just preached on robust orthodoxy. We believe it's important what you believe. It's important that we have good information and knowledge. We need a solid doctrinal base. But here's the thing. Um, Though solid doctrinal understanding is essential for spiritual maturity, you got to have it. Knowing orthodox doctrine itself does not necessarily mean you are a mature Christian. Just having a lot of knowledge yourself does not necessarily mean you are a mature Christian. Because for the Christian, spiritual maturity is never merely um, about what you know. It's asking actually the question, am I becoming more like Jesus Christ? And if I would diagnose some of the, I think, negative of our modern society that just knows so much, I think we have somehow associated information accumulation with maturity for the Christian. Oh, are they mature? Oh, yeah, they've been through all the systematic theologies. They've read everything. Oh, yeah, they know it all. Of course they're mature. But when we look at the way of Christ, that's part of it, a very key part, but maturity is, am I becoming more like Jesus Christ? And if you desire to become more like Jesus, it means sharing your presence with other people because that's what he did. That was his whole ministry, coming to this earth, walking amongst us, ultimately sharing his body and his blood. And if we think about salt then, if we think about salt, salt's never going to make an effect where it needs to be just by waving. Like picture a little salt grain waving. Hey, guys, hope you grow better. Learn how to grow. How does salt work? It has to get into those. It has to get onto those places. It has to get into that soil if we're thinking it's a fertilizer. It has to get in there, touch, presence. In the same way for us, we have to ask, am I being presently engaged where I am? So when I think back um, to the early days, actually even before the church started, now I get a lot of people who are starting churches who want to ask questions because uh, they, they look at guys like you and they're like, wow, something's happening there. So how did you, how did you connect with people? How did you engage with people? Because, man, we're, like, we're having a hard time doing that. And I wish there were a magic bullet, but honestly, before the church even started, the majority of my time was spent walking around everywhere, hanging out at coffee shops. There's only so much coffee a man can drink, but I consumed a lot of coffee. Being at like little concert houses, even though I'm a grumpy old man, I don't necessarily like music anymore, but I was sitting in cool, hip, indie like music joints. I would go to places. I would spend as much time serving in the community. I would talk with people. I would hang out in the street. I would do whatever I can to talk to as many people as possible. And, and I remember one guy I met in the community. He was from another country, but he was, he was here in this country to uh, do community service. That's why he came. And he was not a Christian. He came to this country to do community service. So we got to know each other through different conversations. And we, we liked each other. It was just cool. We would hang out. And then I said to him, yo, we should, like, get together sometime some night. He's like, yeah, you want to come over to my house tomorrow night? I'm having a few friends over. I'm like, dig it. I'm there. So I go. And it's just, it was a little awkward because it was just two other guys. I'm like, oh, this is a little intimate. This is like a little close personal space here. But it's, it's cool. And I just remember that night, not, none of them are Christians. They're not talking about spiritual stuff, but they're talking about spiritual stuff. They're not talking about Jesus, but they're talking about life because these were intellectuals and I felt a little out of my league because I'm not an intellectual, but they were talking about deep philosophical stuff. They were talking about how about issues of the city and spirituality and different gods and all these different things. And then inevitably it had to come around to what I do. Right. And I used to be really slick back then because I didn't want to say, yes, I'm planting a church so that people destined for hell can know the saving knowledge of Jesus. I didn't, I didn't do that. I was like, yeah, I'm in the business of trying to help people experience transformation, and that's why we're starting to thing. They're like, what's that mean? So I was like, okay, I'm a pastor starting a church. Um, but they were fascinated. They were fascinated. They just wanted to know why I believed what I believed and all these different things, and then I remember, I don't remember much from that time because I'm getting old, but I remember this so clearly. At one point, the host who lived there, he looked at me and kind of joking said, man, I could never imagine a A Christian, let alone a pastor, hanging out in my house like this. This is nuts. And we all kind of chuckled. I got to be honest, in my heart, I was like crushed. Weeping almost in my heart. It's like, that is just so sad. That is so sad that the people who should be most welcomed, who should be the most winsome, the most gregarious, the most open-hearted, the most generous, should not be welcomed. But rather, it would be a shock that we would be in someone's home if they don't know who Jesus is. And that's like just burned within my, my memories here. So when guys ask me, well, how did you connect with somebody? By being with people. It's not rocket science, but being with people, letting people know I cared, letting them know, hey, I'm a voice you can I'm a voice that'll talk, but I'm an ear that can hear as well. And and what I'm reminded as we think about being engaged, guys, it's really about relationship. It's really about relationship. So, um We're weird as Christians. If you're not a Christian, I don't know if you ever heard a Christian say, well, Christians can be strange because we believe in Jesus so much that we have this mandate to tell as many people as we can about Jesus. And I'm wholeheartedly a believer in that. We will even go up to strangers on a plane. And like if you're sitting next to someone, Christians will pray, Lord, thank you that you've put this person next to me for the next three hours because they can't move and they got to share peanuts with me and we get to talk about Jesus. It's a little strange. And I, I, I totally believe you can talk to a stranger about Jesus. I've done it. I've seen God use it. So I'm not bashing that at all. I believe it happens. I believe the Holy Spirit's big enough. You can create bridges when there was none in an instant. I believe that. But we don't really do anything else in our life that way. Like really hard issues and topics... What do you talk about when you meet a stranger? The Ravens or the Orioles? How good they are, how bad they are, and how the weather is. Because you don't need any relational base to talk about those things. It's just easy. You feel comfortable. You can talk about it right away. What do we not talk about with someone we just met? Politics. Racial issues in America. Because you see that if you don't have a relationship with someone, those things don't usually go too well. And Facebook, if you need anything to get Facebook is a whole, like, demonstration of that. How much more a message that's so much more important than any political decision or racial matter, the eternal life found in Jesus Christ that we just kind of throw in there without trying to build a relationship? Again, I think it can happen. But I really believe in the power of having relationships with people to talk about hard things. And the gospel is a wonderful message but it's kind of a radical message too. And I want to encourage you, part of being engaged, being present, is knowing people enough to the point where you can talk about hard things. Who do I talk about race issues with? Not people I meet on the bus, but it's guys, uh, men and women, who I've known for years now. We trust one another. They trust me that when I start talking about this, I'm not trying to hate them. Like, we can talk honestly, but relationship has been built up. In the same way, as we try to engage with where we are, it's really about relationship. So let me ask you to think about this frame of mind. I don't know how often you think about this. Consider how much God loves the people he has put around you. If you follow Christ. Consider how much God loves the people he has put into your circle of family, friendships, work, Jim, whatever it might be. Consider how much he loves them, that he would put an image bearer of him, a follower of him in their midst so that you could share your life with them with the hopes that one day you could even share the hope you have in Christ with them. How much God must love people. God doesn't hate sinners, His beloved children in their circles so that you could love them. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates, your friends, your family. Just practically ask, Am I engaged where I am? Ask, How can I be present? I know you like to sleep during your lunchtime because you're an introvert, but maybe once a week you say, This is the lunch I'm gonna have with my coworkers. Seriously, God, I spend like eight hours a day with them. Yeah, one, one half hour won't kill you. Spend time with them outside of work. So am I engaged where I am? Another signpost for us. Do I see life with intentional eyes? Do I see life with intentional eyes? And this flows out of our uh, value that we have at the church called equipping for mission. That one of the values, what's important is we want to equip you all to live life intentionally on mission. We want to help you to be that salt and the light that Christ speaks of here. Our goal and what we do here at the village is we want to best train you to view your life that way. So we're very highly purposeful here at the village. So some of you who are new, you might think, yo, this church is so lazy because churches I've been at the past, they had programs all the time for every possible thing. They had stuff going on like every night, every day. They gave things in the morning. They got things every weekend. They got conferences every week. They got plans. They got studies. They got groups. Yo, your church is lazy. Just kind of like do a few stuff. Um, Maybe we're lazy, but I I would prefer to think we're actually very purposeful because we direct our energies very intentionally towards a few things. We think this is important, gathering as a people for worship, very important. We want you to be here. Um, We think being in a community group, being in some kind of smaller community, very important. We want you to commit to that. And then we have other things that we offer to you. Um, every Seasonal missions opportunity, serving the community, retreats, mission trips, all very important. Do those as you can as they come. But we don't focus on everything. And here's why. It's really not that tough. I don't want you to be in church so stinking much that when we tell you to go be and hang with your neighbor, you're like, when? Like midnight on Wednesday? Because that's all I got right now. Google Calendar, all pink or all blue with like Jesus stuff, with your church stuff. I got no time. I need to sleep. So we want you to purposely not be at something that's church every day. And some of you, this is radical. You're like, my last church said I should not be doing anything with anyone who's not a Christian. I say, well, what's the Bible say? (laughs) We're called to be salt and light. Sometimes it's really hard to be in those dark, um, hard Broken, cracked areas, if we're just only around other image bearers who are patting each other, saying, Oh, great job following Jesus. I'm not saying fellowship's not important. We need fellowship. But we got to remind ourselves why we have fellowship. Even the sweetest time of communion with one another is to strengthen you for the mission that you've been given. Even the sweetest time of sitting with another Christian and talk about things that you can only do with them, that's to equip and prepare you and to let you know you're not some maniac, but that you're actually following this Christ who calls you to a radical life, to be salt, to be fertilizer, to be a light in the dark place, and that we're doing this together. It's not just you. That's why we're not highly programmed here, and that's why we're Intentional because we want to see you as salt and light. We want to see you as fertilizer and a flashlight. I don't know what that looks like image-wise, but metaphorically. If that's what we're doing, our greatest, some of our greatest work as church leadership is we are going to fight as hard as we can so the village doesn't become a large like Christian nursery for adults. What I mean by that is often churches can become a place where we just kind of collect Christians so that you don't get into bad stuff. And you're in a safe place. And, and again, I agree with some of that. Nothing's like fully black and white. But this is not just to collect you here so you stay here. It's to collect you here, gather here, to remind you who you are in Christ, to teach you who you are if you don't know it yet, so that your life can be transformed, so we can send you back out in the power of God. Everything is done with the goal of trying to make you saltier, shine brighter. So I invite you, obviously, come worship I invite you to get into a group. And if you've always heard getting into a community group as, you know what, good Christians, I guess they sit together in circles once a week. I guess I should do that. Eh." Or maybe you start to see it as, wow, they give me an opportunity to be with some of maniac Christians to remind ourselves that we're called to a higher purpose. I need these people to remind me because I leak. I forget. I don't live like this normally, so I need other people to speak into my life that way. Pray for me because i got a real hard work situation. Pray for me because I'm just so led by other things. Pray for me. Um, Let's eat together. Let's pray. Let's talk so that we can be equipped to be on mission. Maybe practically, if you want to apply something, let me ask you this. One thing I love about going on the global mission field is when you go there, you just pray so much. If you've been on a mission trip, you know what I'm saying, right? You get up, or maybe it's just me, you get up real early in the morning and you just pray, You pray so much, Lord, we're going to go out into the streets. We're going to go into these villages. Lord, we pray for the people we're going to meet. Prepare them. Let their soil of their heart be soft to receive your word. Lord, help me to not be such a fear of man type of person, but help me to be courageous. Lord, may there be opportunities for your gospel to go forth. And then we come back home at night and we debrief and then we pray some more. We're like, Lord, all the people that we talked with today, they seem so open to these things. God, may those seeds not be snatched up but we pray for them that you might give them real seeds of faith and help this ministry to grow we pray so much but but i come back home and then i realize the place that where we spend most of our work that is probably the majority of your mission field which is your work your school your families we don't pray like that we just try to survive right that's what we do. we just try to make it through maybe i can ask you to start to think of your mission field every morning where has god placed you intentionally It's not an accident because our God doesn't work in accidents. Where has he placed you? And just take a minute even, if that's all you have. But just say, Lord, give me eyes this day to see like you do. God, give me patience because these people want me to ram my head into a wall. God, help me to love in an unknowable way and remind me that's why I need you because I don't love like that. And take a minute or two every morning. Pray for eyes to recognize intentionally, places that are dead and dark. So do I see life with intentional eyes? One more sign. Who is family to me? Who is family to me? And this springs out of our value at the church of united diversity. You know, we value the fact that we are made up of a people of a lot of different cultures and backgrounds. I love even internationally, we're starting to represent different nationalities here from overseas coming. Uh, But we talk about the idea that we're united. We're one. We're one, but we don't lose who we are individually as well. We're not a colorblind theology kind of church. We actually believe, just like you can see all the different colors here, God sees that as well, and he celebrates that because he's created us to be this mosaic of different people who are somehow united by this great God. It's insane how that works. But God, through Christ, broke down the dividing walls to make us one. But we're brought together with all of our diverse myriad of gifts and backgrounds, and experiences, and passions, and cultural knowledge. And we don't diminish one over the other or elevate one over the other. We say, God, how can you redeem all of this for your own glory? And I think about that one verse in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus, he's giving a commission. He said, said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And as we think about mission, so much we think about kind of a very individualistic thing. But the picture we have here, look at what Jesus he says. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. This is a very clear, strong understanding of the communion that exists within God. And this is the Trinity. God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And I don't have time to explain that in 30 seconds. If you want a good brief rundown, talk to Pastor Larry. He can talk you through that really well. But we're talking about the community that God has within himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So Jesus is saying here, I'm not just going here on my own. The Father has sent me. We are a unit. We are a community. Now I send you as well. But he's sending us as community as well. And and I, I, I think, you know, it just ties into this whole idea of salt and earth because so many times when we think about diversity in a church or unity or whatever, reconciliation, it's like this kumbaya kind of thing. It's like, Oh, wouldn't it be? I mean, Yeah, it's like this weird, like, oh, it's so nice that we're so different from one another. And man, we lose, like, the mission of God. That this is not just for us to feel good. Yeah, we're not like those churches that all are the same with it. No, this is so much more than that. This is the very mission of God going forth as our community represents people from so many beautiful different cultures. Both here in Hamden and all the way till the ends of the earth gathered here in a room in Baltimore. Have you thought about that? That's insane. It's insane. People with all different backgrounds becoming family because of Jesus. And our unity, I think for a time such as this, particularly now, and you might have noticed in our country, we got a little bit of fracturing going on. I don't know. I heard some stuff's going on. In a world, in a society like this, the unity of this diverse group of people is that much more critical for us to take the mission, and the message of our Christ. But it's hard. It's very hard. And I don't know if this happens so much in our church. Um, There's a lot of churches right now that they don't want to go to worship with the people that they see on Facebook who are talking about opposite sides of the aisle on political issues, race issues, justice issues. They're like, I don't even know if they're Christian anymore. How can I how can I how can I be there? How can I genuinely take that communion when Jesus said, if you got an issue with your brother, don't come and take this. I'm never gonna be taking communion again. Guys, we have to fight for radical, gospel driven unity with people that you might not even like. Because Jesus loves you, and he loves them. And he said, this is not some shallow unity that we hold hands and we say, oh, look how much. This is one based on, look at the differences we have. Look at everything in the world that gives us a reason not to be unified. Look at everything that should be dividing us. But wow, look at this radical cross that those... Walls are broken down. We can actually say genuinely, this is my brother. This is my sister. Even though I don't agree with 95% of some of the stuff they say. And I hope that God turns their heart. But they're family. They're family. And we gather here. I humble myself when I want to lay into them and tell them how evil they are. I humble myself and ask, Lord, or what are you showing me about my heart? What are you showing me about my proclivities? And we humble ourselves. And, but then we can also engage in real conversation. Say, hey, man, I saw what you were talking about there in your podcast. And, and I, I got to tell you, as I read the scriptures, I really disagree with you. But I'm so thankful we're in a church that we can talk about this stuff now. We have to fight to be unified, especially when you're diverse. And, and I just want to say this. Maybe some of our newer to, newer to the village as well. The reality is, it's much easier to feel unified if you go to a church where everyone's kind of similar to you. It just is. It just science backs it up. If you want to be unified, it's much easier to find people who look like you, who got the same skin tone as you do, who, who believe in the same political party you do, who have the same educational level you do. It's just much easier. It, it really is. We need gospel, but, but not really. I mean, you can be one. Um, but it can be hard if you don't have that. And I just want to put that out for you. For some of you, you might be at this church and say, you know, I, I kind of dig it, um, but man, it's really hard for me to find my place here because people seem so different than me. This is not like my last church where like, I felt like I belonged with, with people. It, it's kind of harder here. And what I want to tell you is you're, not, you're probably not making that up. It is harder. It is harder. It might not feel as natural, especially if you're an ethnic minority here. I'm going to suggest it might even feel harder for you if you're used to more homogenous ethnic churches because it just, you didn't have to work hard to get that, but it's probably going to feel harder here when we have a diversity of class and, and, and place of origin and ethnic, ethnicity, race, all those different factors. It's going to be hard. But I'll also say this, just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad for you. Actually, when we look at the gospel, some of the things that are hardest are actually God loving you. And maybe for some of you, one of the best things for your soul is to be part of a church where things will not always go the way you would like them to. If you're part of a diverse church, I guarantee you, there's going to be some stuff you're like, oh, okay, I don't sing that song that way. That's just strange, like hillbilly sounding. I don't do it that way. We say, is that, is that a close-hand gospel issue? Are we talking about like the divinity of Christ? Or is it more a preferential thing? Because if it's a preferential thing, I'm going to ask you, chew on that a little bit. Ask, is that enough to send you out of this place? Or maybe you can say, there's enough to unite me with others here, and I'm going to fight for that. And again, I, I love, I think the weather's nice enough today that I hopefully, hopefully will see this. It's not like the rainy days where we're all like rats running out of here. But nice days like this, I love when we're, like, people are leaving church after and then people are like walking by or driving by, and they get kind of confused when they look at the church. Because like, they see all these different people. They're like, why are they hanging out together? That, that makes absolutely no sense. This is weird. And they're curious. And as I shared this before, one pastor friend of mine says, the only time you see like real radical kind of close diversity is either drugs or Jesus. I, I hope it's Jesus that's uniting us here to be one. <laughs> There might be stuff going on I don't know about. You know, you you get that with the Lord. But we speak to a world that is so fractured. Look at what God can do. Look how he unites us. Look how he takes people who really don't have that much in common, and he calls us family. And you're welcomed into that family as well. That's us being salt. That's us being light. That's us being fertilizer, being a flashlight. And I want to unashamedly right now, I want to put that call out for you, to put your life on mission as a partner of this church, walk with this church, whatever it looks like for you right now, I will, without shame, I'm going to invite you, give all that you have for that mission. Be part of what God is doing here at the village. I, I, I believe God wants to not like harm you. He actually wants to give you more. He wants to give you the life you were meant to live. Something that's making an eternal impact. Because that's what it means when Jesus says, You're a city on a hill. We are meant to be as a village, we're not big but a small little outpost. We're meant to be a refuge to the lonely. We're meant to be this call out to the frightened, to the lost, to the welcome, to the foreigner, to the abused, to the assaulted, to say, God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, and because he does that, we love you as well, and we want you here as well, and we do whatever we can for those who don't know him to know him, I pray I mean, sometimes this keeps me up and up. I pray that for some whose natural destination should be a judgment in hell, they may be welcomed into the presence of God through each and every single one of you. Being salt, being light, being fertilizer into broken, messy, dead places, being a flashlight into darkness. That some people who they are on a fast track to a bad place, they experience life through you. And and I know as I say say this, some of you are just, like, inspired. Like, you're the type who watches Rocky or Braveheart, and you're like, whoa, I want to become a boxer. Whoa, I want to go fight. Um, You're like, yes, throw me like miracle Grow, whatever, you know. Praise God. Go in that. Go in faith. I commission you to go. But I'm going to guess others of you here, you're, you're hearing Christ say, yeah, if salt loses its saltiness, it'll be trampled by men. And some of you are like, Yeah, I'm 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 trampled. I'm the walking wounded. If you're being honest, you would say, I- I'm just not very close to God in my life right now. I see the call that He's given to me to be salt and light. I'm nowhere near that right now. I'm self-absorbed. I'm hurting. I'm hurting others. I'm hurting myself. I'm running from God. You're not close to God in your own life, let alone being salt and light to another. But guys, here's the invitation I want to give you. This is why we call it good news. Because I'm not trying to put an extra burden of weight on you. The goal is not for me to stop right now and say, sluggard, lazy. This is why the church is losing people all throughout the country. I'm saying Christ wants to give you life and give you abundantly. He's not trying to give you more and press you down to the ground so you feel crushed. He's actually trying to take burden off of you because the cross always leads us to extravagant worship towards God because nothing that you would confess today, nothing that you would honestly acknowledge before God, say, God, this is how I've been running away from my natural call you've given me to be your salt and light. This is what I've been doing to disqualify myself. Nothing that you would acknowledge and repent today to God will catch him off guard in any way. He already knows you. There is freedom for those who believe in Christ to confess openly before God. And and for some of us, that's hard because with people, um, there's a chance that you confess openly, they will use that as ammunition against you. That's just real. And and maybe for some of us in here, that's why you're still closed off from others in this community because you still see God through that lens of other people. You're afraid of being known. But what I want to tell you, that's not how it is with God. When you reveal your failings to God, he he doesn't kind of like, oh man, are they going to really keep their word this time? He He doesn't do that. The cross stands as this beautiful, clear reality that God knows you. He knows you. He wants you to be all you are meant to be. He, he has made a way. So if there are impurities in your life, if there are legitimate things in your life that are keeping you from being on mission as you're called to be, don't hold on to them anymore when God already knows them and he's given you an out. You, you're allowing this burden to press on your soul when God says, yo, I got it. I, I paid for that already. Just give it up here. I got it. So let the spirit probe your heart today. Confess freely to God today. If you have not been living in the way you should be a salt and light, as fertilizer, as a flashlight, confess it to God. Be transformed in his healing grace. Be transformed into who you are meant to be. Know this Jesus, who though we probably deserve to be trampled like that bad salt, he was trampled through the cross in our place and invites us to follow him. Be transformed. Be who you're meant to be for yourself, and for the world. Stand with me. Stand with me. Let me ask you to close your eyes for a moment as you respond to the word today. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up to the table if you're a Christian and to receive that. Take a piece of the bread and remember the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup. Be reminded of his blood that was shed for you that allows you to be reconciled to him. And I want to invite you, if you're a Christian, obviously before you come up here, do some business with God. Pray. Don't just do this like auto-motion. Pray. Pray and say, Lord, here's how I've fallen short. Thank you for grace. Thank you for welcoming back. Thank you that you don't hold this over my head, but you've paid this price. And then come up to the table in the freedom you have in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, maybe you've even gone to church, but you would confess, I don't know Jesus in that way. I want to welcome you to be reconciled to God and to one another in this place. We want to welcome in here as family. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to try to make excuses for your sin, for your sh- shortfalls. You can be honest with this God because he knows it, and he's died for that as Christ. So whatever you are in this place, be free to come to the Lord and be reminded of the greater call we have as a church. Lord, help us. Help us, Or You have given us such a large commissioning to be fertilizer into messy, dark places to be a light shining into gloom and pointing to the hope. So help us, God, to do that well, but remind us again, our job is not to do that well by our strength, but even in our weakness, even in how we sin, we come before you and remember your grace. So, Lord, pour grace on this group. Pour grace on this room. Show mercy on those who feel trampled and stomped upon, who feel far from you, Lord. Invite us back into your presence and let them even hear you love them. You love them. You love them. Because of Jesus, you love them. Now come back and live the way I've intended you to. So we thank you, God. Keep reminding us what we're meant to be as a church.